Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of the modern architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of accurate, Tom Dioro. Thank you, Mark. For our guest today, please welcome Patrick Laidlaw, National Sales Manager for WAC Lighting. WAC Lighting is headquartered in Garden City, New York, and is a leading global manufacturer and innovative designer of lighting for luxury residential and commercial application, as well as hospitality, institutional, retail, and architectural projects. Step inside the world's finest museums, public spaces, and offices, and WAC Lighting help them shine brightly. For more information, feel free to visit www.waclighting.com. That's www dot w-a-c lighting.com. Hello, Patrick. We're honored and excited to have you on the Modern Architect Show today. Hello, Tom. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're, we're honored. I'd like to start with something, um, you know, some of the early inspirations, if you will, um, Patrick, like what what did you, were you doing as a kid or even when you're younger that you can kind of see yourself like, oh, I can kind of see where I'm doing, what I'm doing now is what I kind of liked when I was, uh, you know, young earlier. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, a few different things. As a kid, you know, I like to accomplish things. So I was never one of these guys that could go to the gym and, and lift the same weights over and over uh, again. I could play games. I could play sports uh-huh. uh, all day long, uh, never ending, because there was a purpose to it and a, and a competition to it, and you were doing something. I enjoyed mowing the lawn because when you finished, <laughs> really? you could see, okay. you know, the improvements yeah. you made. You see the job, the immediate gratification. So, yeah. So I think that was some of the inspiration was to uh, to accomplish things. I love to learn about all different things, yeah. relevant and non-relevant to life. And then also I was born into it. So my father was a, a lighting rep for many years. And uh, as a kid, there weren't child labor laws back then. So I hung a lot of light fixtures <laughs> in really? showrooms. Yeah, I would get 50 cents uh, a light fixture to hang them on the wall in showrooms <laughs> that my dad called on. And uh, and so I was kind of a, I, I, we call this business quicksand because when you get in it, it's, you don't seem to get out. Oh, you know? really? Yeah, That's yeah. interesting. Okay, so, is, is that is that, a, is that known throughout the industry or no, just those who really know? No, it's very common in the industry. Okay. There's people who will even leave for three or four years and come back, uh, whether they've been in lighting showrooms, whether they've been in electrical side of things, um, they've been lighting designers. It's a, yeah. it's a small industry. It's a very family-oriented industry. It's a friendly industry. It's it's amazing manufacturers share information back and forth and yeah. try to promote lighting and health in the industry as a whole. So it's unique to a lot of other industries. So once you're in, it's the Hotel California, so to speak. <laughs> you are in. Really? You know? Yeah. yeah. Really? Now, you're, you're based on, I said Garden City, but it's actually, what's the correct uh, uh, Well, it's Long Island is Long what everybody Island. Okay. would know, but Port Washington is the actual city that the that our, our headquarters okay, are Port in. Okay, Port Washington is mm-hmm. like, okay. So how many other? Um, I mean, you've I've looked at a number of museums and parks and just, and just everything. Is there any limits to what you can do with you know, lighting? Uh, no, not yeah. at all. With lighting, and lighting affects everything we do every day. And um, what's amazing is in the last uh, 10 years specifically, but even the last 20 years, we've learned so much about how lighting affects our daily lives. You know, we're, we're uh, day creatures, so we have a circadian rhythm, and we're supposed yeah. to be awake during the day and asleep during uh, the night. So our eyes have sensors in them that tell our brain when we're supposed to be awake. We pick up blue wavelengths in daylight, and it tells our brain, don't produce melatonin. We're supposed to be awake. And then at night, uh, as the sun goes down, we 
we pick up the yellow tones and, and our brain tells, uh, our eyes tell our brain to start producing melatonin. We're supposed to be asleep. Thus, they tell you don't be on your computer, your laptop, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, before you get ready for, for to go to bed because your, your brain's not uh, producing melatonin. You're not winding down. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've learned a great deal about how light can affect the human body. Yeah. How much, how so even, um, you know, even what, what, what I've read on before our show is just really how much it affects every facet of your life. Absolutely. Because we're mostly, we're indoors. And it's only, well, I don't say if it's recently, but I looked, I looked at uh, the information available. It's really been studied in the last 10, 20 years. Is that a, yeah. really intensely? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we produced light uh, through electricity before. It was very inefficient. It wasted a lot of energy. Yeah. Uh, we was heating in a filament, and it was very similar to fire. I mean, that was our first light, <laughs> yeah. believe it or not, besides the sun. So, uh, so, yeah, in the last 10 to 20 years, there have been institutes, there's been studies. Students, you can actually increase their learning ability by the color of light that we use. You can increase worker productivity by the color of light and the, the times. We can use daylight harvesting where we actually use the actual sun. Yeah, how is that, just from your experience, the harvesting? Because a lot of architects, that's what they're really putting a lot of attention to. Absolutely. Well, yeah. it's free light, which okay, is yeah. always a, yeah. a benefit. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no energy costs. And then through controls now and, and where the, the whole industry is going with controls, you can do daylight harvesting that can adjust the lights up and down based on whether it's a cloudy day or a sunny uh. day or based on whether the it's uh, winter is, is here and it's getting darker earlier. Um, so you're using a combination of shades that can block out some of the light, adjusting the light up and down to maintain a certain light level that in, in specific instances, let's say hospitals, you know, you have to maintain a certain light level to perform yeah. a function at, at a high level. So, so you know, it can be everything from energy savings to performing at a particular level to uh, maintaining light levels per code. But daylight harvesting has, has become very popular in the last few years. Yeah. How much, uh, I would imagine there's maybe not that much difference, but like from a hospital to a commercial office facility, you know, the type of lighting, how how kind of would it be different that way in sure. your experience? When you're in a hospital environment, I mean, there's certainly a certain amount of level, uh, light levels you have to maintain for, mm -hmm. for surgeons to, um, to be able to perform efficiently. And you also have to have backup systems because you can't have the power going out in the middle of a, a surgery <laughs> or a surgical procedure. Sure. Um, so there's definitely... Yeah. Uh, different codes and different types of lighting. Also, you don't want a bulb or lamp burning out. We call them lamps in the lighting industry. You don't want a lamp burning out. But in an office building, really you're concerned about worker function. You know, can they perform at a, at a good level, but energy efficiency too. So, Okay. Worker, was it the worker pr productivity? Yes. And yes. If it, is it efficiency for the entire system or for the person? How, how? No, actually yeah. the codes over the last 10 years have focused strictly on efficiency, electrical efficiency, energy efficiency. So trying to light the building with particular codes that keep the energy consumption to a minimum. And mm. just in the last few years, they started saying, wait, we're focusing on saving all this energy, but nobody's really focusing on the people that are in the space. And are they performing true. at yeah, their, yeah, at their yeah. top level? You know, or in, in the case of a restaurant or a home, are we only going to focus on energy efficiency or are we going to focus on the people, the, the users of the space? And are we bringing them any gratification and satisfaction? And, and can they use the space properly? So we really have to focus on the users, what the space is being used for, as well as energy efficiency. It's a much bigger picture than... Than, yeah. Than it was so is, is each application different or each each building different as far as what, what type of lighting you want, wish to choose or what kind of controls you, you, you put in place? Sure, sure. Okay. It, to a point. It depends on the situation. So hospitals and office buildings still primarily use uh, a lay-in, a 2x2 two two or 2x4. Two They're an LED light source now instead of fluorescent. It's a much longer life, much more energy efficient. You can control it better. But, you know, an office building might be similar. But then when you start getting into restaurants or multifamily um, or elderly care facilities, you know, the needs change based on what the space is used for. Yeah, uh, definitely. In regards to LEDs, they're so prevalent now, and and uh, so many companies, so many everywhere is is turning over to LEDs. What's your experience with it in say the last five, ten years? Oh sure, it's yeah. it's come uh, it's come miles yeah. and miles. How and we, so? You know? We still have miles to go. Oh, so when, even miles to go. Absolutely. Even as as advanced as it is now. Yeah, wow. yeah. There's a couple of reasons for that. So when we had the incandescent bulb, it was pretty simple. And then we went into fluorescence, and there were some good fluorescence, and there were some lower price fluorescence, and we had to learn that fluorescence had a ballast, and if you put it in a kid's room and turned it on and off a hundred million times, <laughs> it didn't last very long. Yeah. Their workhorse was designed to stay on. With LEDs, you can turn them on and off a million times, but we don't want to get them hot. You know. <laughs> 
heat oh, is the enemy, okay. just like your computer has a fan, your cable box yeah. has a fan. Heat is the enemy of of electronics, and um, and LEDs are really a diode. So, yeah. so we've learned that. But early ones, you know, they've been around since the nineteen nineteen thirties, nineteen forties, and indicator lights, and airplanes, really? cars, oh, yeah, well, right. radios. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they were always a green or red indicator light or a blue indicator light. And so, just in in the last uh, 10, 20, 30 years, about twenty years, we've learned how to make white light out of them. And then we started uh, working on trying to make usable functional light. And so then obviously the, the focus becomes how much light can you get out of it? How hard can you push it? And the early LEDs were all extrapolated numbers. So we said, oh, well, geez, if it lasts as a low-power indicator light for 100,000 hours, this should last for 100,000 hours, too. And 1,000 hours later, it was burned out. And we said, well, I guess that didn't work out too good. So they started coming up with tests, and there'll be ratings okay. tests. So you can test a product for 6,000 hours, and you can then start looking at a 25,000-hour life. And after 10,000 hours, you can test the light output, and you can get to a 50,000-hour life. So, so standards started being instituted, and, and that made a big difference and the quality of the LEDs and them actually yeah. working and lasting longer. Yeah. And the problem we have now with LEDs is that there's no, ne- not necessarily a standard across the industry for the electronics components. So we have electronic manufacturers making dimmers. We have electronic manufacturers making drivers. We have electronic manufacturers making diodes. And there's no one standard platform. So compatibility in the industry leads to be a challenge. Who's, who sets those standards? What institution or what organization? Well, there's, there's two really in the electric industry, there's ANSI, American National Standards Institute, that sets uh, standards for basically color temperature, ranges, and things like that. There's another government institute that sets standards for electronics, but they haven't designated that you, all manufacturers have to use one standard platform, so they'll talk to each yeah. other. And of course, you know, like Apple likes their products to work with their products, and Samsung yeah. likes their products to work with. So a lot of the manufacturers, you know, are designing, whether it be by cost, by quality, yeah. or by their own design, uh, their own electronics. And and, um, do they collaborate on the test procedures? Some do. Methods? Not enough. So, oh, not really? Enough. I, yeah. It's interesting. So not enough. Yeah. Is it by design or no, they just can't? Uh... Um, it's competition. Everybody oh, really? is going okay. into other things. If you look in, in the industry-wide, there's controls companies buying lighting companies. There's lighting companies buying controls companies. Uh, as yeah. we go forward, and, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit further on the show, but everything is becoming more than just lighting. It's becoming a control universe. You know, the Internet of Things. Wow. We're going to have Li-Fi where you'll have actually... Uh, How do you what would you call it? Li-Fi, L-I-F-I. Oh. So oh. instead of Wi-Fi, yeah. where your, your information is coming through the air, it's going to come through your lights, and it's about 100 times faster than Wi-Fi. No way! And so you'll be able to get You'll be able to get free internet, so to speak, if it's free, but you'll be able to get internet over the light. Li-Fi. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, it's being tested in the government right now. The government has tested it, and they found when you put information in light, the only way to in- intercept that information is to intercept the light. And so they can transmit a light beam up to 13 miles on the ocean from one ship to another, oh. and that information cannot be picked up unless someone were to intercept that light beam. So it's very fast. Uh, you can transmit a lot of data, and so it will not be long until we have... Yeah, over our lights. And Are there any examples, or even if they're f- not far-fetched, but there any examples of the Li-Fi that you uh, I haven't seen, seen any in the United about? States, no, but there are some in Europe. There are okay. some tests being done now and buildings being done that way. And so with the industries gravitating towards controls, and it's going to be good, but it's also going to be crazy because there's you can make these microprocessors so small. Think about your phone. Okay. The weight of the phone is the battery, the case, the glass. So they're going to have these microprocessors that are so small to be able to fit in lights and these sensors that'll in lights, and they're going to be able to tell where where anybody is in a building at any time, what their traffic patterns are, which will be great for hospitals. If you need to locate a, a machine... You know, you can be able to put these beacons in everything in the entire hospital. A maintenance guy will be able to tell where his cordless drill is in anywhere in the plant because he'll be able to, you know, pull up his phone and find that beacon and where it is through the lighting fixtures. So retail. Wow, that makes them almost alive. Like they've had their own intelligence. Uh, in a way, in a way. Okay. Yeah, it's all it's all programmed. So, you know, when you go to retail, you and your wife walk through the store and you stop at a few end caps and look at some things. And when you get to the to the crash register, if you're not getting messages over your phone about those products. Uh, when you get to the cash register, there'll be a point of purchase display, a screen, and it'll just happen to be advertising some of the products you stopped at uh, in the store and looked at, you know, and there'll be some sort of a special or an encouragement. So, so yeah, it's it's all going to become about controls. It's not just about electricity. It's about yeah. uh, the users of the space. After lunch, you know, we're going to change the color temperature of the lights to a brighter, bluer color temperature that's going to 
cause everybody, instead of going into that after lunch slump, uh, slump, yeah. they're going to be more awake. They're going to get more daylight time. They're going to be more productive because they're going to have that. Third shift workers also, you can tend to be more awake by, by changing the color temperature of the lights that you're uh, actually using and, and making them more like daylight. So they're, There is they're no end to this, is there? No, there really isn't. There really isn't. So I can understand some of the quicksand, really, because even if you if you get, get out of the industry within two, three years, it'll shift a bit. It's shifting tremendously. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. With uh, with all of that. And then there's other new light sources they're working on on the, on the horizon. So who's to say LED is uh, the, the end-all, be-all? You know, we think we tend to think that no, it is, yeah. but uh, uh, there's there's more coming. So but, you might be you're obviously a little either privy or you're curious enough to, to find out, hey, what else is next? Not just what is now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you see when you go into facilities, uh, discounting our, our studio here, <laughs> do you see lighting and you go, oh, my goodness, this is just not good? for everybody. Uh, absolutely. How, all how, the time. Oh, no. It's all the time. It's not when like once in a while? No. It's when you're lighting, you walk around with your head staring straight up all the time. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it, it's it's funny. Uh, it's it's rewarding because uh, I, I taught an interior design class, a lighting design class. And one of my students one time, she was about 24, and she said, you've ruined my life. This was one of the most rewarding things in my career. She said, you've ruined my life. That she said you ruined it? Yes. Yes. And I, and I said, how so? Yeah. She said, well, Saturday afternoon, we're having lunch. I'm having lunch with my husband and my kids and my kids are staring up in the ceiling and they said, mommy, what are you looking at? And they're all staring up at the lights. They don't have a clue what I'm looking at. And I said, yes, somebody gets, it. you know, it's such an integral part of our lives. It, it affects everything we do every day. And yeah. so, yeah, when you're in lighting, you definitely walk around and, and I suppose if you're an interior designer, you're an architect, yeah. you look at how things are designed and, uh, and everything can, everything is somebody's design. So it can be, you can That's learn from so it. Every, everything is someone's design. Yeah, absolutely. So when you walk into a space and you look at the lighting, you look at the uh, the architecture, the interior design, you say, did they design it that way? Did the maintenance guy just put in what he had? <laughs> did somebody rearrange it? But somebody designed it that way, and and why? And was it good design? Was it bad design? How can I learn from that? Excellent. Let's touch back on that when we return. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Oceana is the largest international organization working solely to protect the oceans. Oceana wins policy victories for the world's oceans using a science-based campaign. Since 2001, it has protected more than 1 million square miles of ocean and innumerable sea turtles, sharks, dolphins, and other sea creatures. Oceana is also helping to restore the world's wild fish populations to serve as a sustainable food source for people. For more information, or to donate, visit Oceana.org. We're talking today with Patrick Laidlaw, National Sales Manager for WAC Lighting, a global manufacturer and innovator of lighting products and LEDs. For more information, you're welcome to visit www.waclighting.com. That's www.waclighting.com. Patrick, you're talking about, you know, especially you, 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 one of your students kind of got it. And there's a sort of um, a good feeling about that. Does that happen as well when you're working on projects when they say, look, we don't really know what to do here. Can you kind of help us out, whether it's a museum or an art gallery or an airport? Is it, does that sort of feeling kind of fuel you a bit? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly rewarding because you're improving the quality of people's lives, really. We're not just selling lighting. And when we talk about, um, to, to kind of digress here for a minute, we talk about, the studies and what we've learned in the last 10 years or 15 years about lighting and how it affects our body, uh, we've learned a lot about our eyes and about the, when we talk about our eyes and how they receive light. As our our best vision is around three or four years of age, believe it or not, and it's downhill from there. Really? Yeah, yeah. So it, it all goes downhill from there. And then after that, you know, as we grow older, our lenses thicken and yellow. So if you're 60, 70 years old and you want to perform a task at the same level a 20 or 30-year-old does, you need three to four times the amount of light to perform that task at the same level. So through learning um, the amount of light we need to function and the amount of light we need to perform tasks, uh, we know that we have to light an older person's house much different than we have to light a younger person's house. And if it's somebody's final house, we need to overlight it. 
So through controls, we can dim down, we can control the lighting, we can create uh, moods and scenes. But as we age, so our lens, lens is thicken and yellow. When you're 65, 70, 80 years old and you're looking at a newspaper, which isn't the brightest white, and yeah. I think there's still some people that look at newspapers. I can't, I don't know for sure, <laughs> yeah, but some I'm do. pretty sure they do. Yeah. yeah. They will tend to gravitate <laughs> towards a cooler, whiter yeah. light because it creates a, dark, a, a more of a contrast. Right. When they're looking yeah, at a true. newspaper or a book, the black letters stand out better. So just through uh, learning about our own physiology, we learn how to light homes. And so, again, you can create quality of life for people. Uh, I yeah. lit one particular person's house. We we put uh, this new LED tape lighting underneath the steps. We lit the toe kick of his steps. And he lived on a beautiful lake. Yeah. And and it's, you know, when you get comments like, I sit on my deck and I have to decide whether to look at the sunset on <laughs> the lake or no look way. at the light at my steps. He said, I, I just absolutely love it. It makes the whole house. That's, yeah, you're uh, really winning. Kind of thing is Rewarding. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever have you ever quantified numbers of uh, we'll stay, you know, like uh, buildings or, or homes out of say ten homes, how many are actually properly lit or designed in lighting? Wow, that that's a tough question. So if we were talking about homes, I would have to say maybe seven or eight are not properly lit. Maybe that's two or significant? three. Yeah, really, truly. We wow. up until recently we haven't put an emphasis wow. on lighting, and here's the reason why. You know, you start building a house, so. You, you go through these plans with your your architect, and you choose the plan, and then you start working on picking out things, uh, and you start going over budget because you want nicer cabinets and nicer yeah. flooring, and <laughs> and you want a bigger garage, and you want this to be insulated, you want to add a sunroom, and by the time you get to lighting, the contractors typically put in a lot of uh, the the rough end done the electrical boxes, and so now it's okay. We have a we've got a three hundred thousand dollar house, a five hundred thousand dollar house, and we have a two thousand dollar budget. We don't want to go over, you know, and then they point at a beautiful foyer fixture. <laughs> That's about eighteen hundred bucks, and we said, "Okay, that's it. You know, you're done. You gotta, it's you true. Have to carry yeah. flashlights around the rest of the house." So, because it's later on in the building process, <laughs> that's a um, scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Miners' helmets for everyone, but. Uh, because it's later on in the building process, yeah. it tends to get the budget cut a lot. And we're just now learning, like I said, in the last five years, how much it can affect the quality of life in, in homes. You could take a low-budget home and light it correctly, and it'll elevate that home Absolutely. so greatly. Yeah. And, and you could do just the opposite by taking an incredible home and underlighting it or lighting it improperly. <laughs> and so a lot of times people say, it's just a light. Well, it's, it's no, obviously yeah. way more than just a light. Yeah. So 7 out of 10. I didn't know it was that. At least that's residential. Yeah, I would now, say how about, residential. How about commercial or even the governmental buildings. Sure, sure. Commercially, it, I, I would say it's not quite that dramatic because typically they're going to be looking at either watts per square foot codes or lumens per square foot, the amount of light they got to have and how much energy they could use. Um, so it, older buildings would be much, much worse yeah. lit. I was actually in a hotel in uh, New York not that long ago. They use these what are called pin spots, these, these tiny little holes, apertures in the recess, uh -huh. and they yeah. have an MR16. And when you look down this hallway, oh, you saw God. little circles on the floor <laughs> and, right. uh, you know... You didn't know whether to hop from one to another or or what. It was it was like a linear. Um, what was the game you used to you used to play where you had to put your uh, yeah, your hands know, and legs on all the colors? I, I know what spots. you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. yeah. So it was, at a hotel, was this just a regular, a nice one as well? Uh, no, I, I it was okay. No, 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 it was a moderate hotel. Patrick, I don't think you're staying at bad hotels. But no, no, I try not to. I try <laughs> okay. not to. No, if they're by the hour, I I tend to go to the next one. But. Uh, but yeah, without a doubt, you know, the other thing you'll see is you'll see track heads, you'll see recessed, especially in older buildings that are directional light sources. They're luminaires that are designed to put the light either down into the room or accent on something from a track head. And they'll put a regular light bulb or a CFL fluorescent in there, which are omnidirectional light sources. So it really doesn't perform the function it was designed to do. So it's so important. And a lot of uh, great architects and designers will do this. They'll draw up a, a plan that includes the lighting, yeah, the lamps, yeah. the schedule, so they can relamp them with the proper lamps. They can make sure that the, the job with their signature, you know, looks the same in 20 years as it did the way they designed it. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot um, of architects are... They're not skilled in lighting. Right. And right. Um, the truth you, you talked about a little earlier, or not just recently, was the um, they're not, it's not it hasn't not been always a priority in the um, the actual plans. Correct. And I think maybe within the last five, probably five years, no long, no later, that it actually becomes. Wait a minute, the light is may be the most important part of the design. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so to your point about um, commercial buildings, uh, there was a college that I worked with in Michigan, and the library was one of the worst lit libraries or one of the worst lit rooms in the entire college because they, they looked at the plan. It was a blank room on a of blueprint. Of all places, the library? Absolutely. <laughs> and they said, okay, we need this many fluorescent yeah. space this far apart. And unfortunately, most of the, the, the lights 
were over the top. They were centered over the book stacks. So when you got down towards the bottom rows, you couldn't, couldn't read the books. You couldn't see most of them because uh, it was looked at as a blank space filled in, yeah. you know, symmetrically with light. And then uh, in, in the foot candle, the formulas say we'll have enough foot candles. So. Yeah. So, uh, so that happens, you know, quite a bit. Um, I think now we have more focus on it. We're looking at what are we trying to do in the rooms. But you can go into any, I would say, almost any mall in uh, in America, and you can see every type of lighting. So you can see accent lighting, task lighting, uh, ambient lighting, and you can see uh, cool white and warm white fluorescence in the same fixture. You can see the same fixture with white glass and yellow glass because of the bulbs. You can see cans and uh, track lights with regular A-lamp yeah. light bulbs in them. So it's just a matter of whatever anybody can find and if it'll fit in the base they screw it in and uh, <laughs> so even the malls when you if, if you even go to malls nowadays right but uh, you still see like oh my goodness it's so inefficient and ineffective absolutely absolutely it, it, but it serves Most? a purpose it serves uh, a, the, by design you think well no no okay. it doesn't it serves a learning purpose all right so when we deal with interior design students we like to take them to the malls as a field trip <laughs> okay. because you can see every type of light credit card there well no no <laughs> well that's up to them if they want to stay after that's one of the few times they don't mind staying late for class but <laughs> But we take them there because you could see great lighting and horrible lighting all in the same same building. And you also see different types of lighting. So when you look in, you walk into an old Navy store, it's lit like a warehouse, upbeat yeah. music. There, It says discount. Uh, you go into Abercrombie, it's obviously tailored towards a younger crowd. They're highlighting uh, basically just the clothes, and, and it's it's more of an atmosphere, and they're pumping that smelly stuff through the, they through do. the vents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, so it's designed for a particular crowd. And you go into Macy's, and at the entry entrance of Macy's, you'll see an inverted bowl that has direct and indirect light, so light up and light down. You'll see cove lighting. You'll see recess lighting. You'll see track heads. So you can see a great deal of uh, styles and types of lighting in, in one application in that store. And then as you go through, you'll see some of the lower end stores and some of the higher end stores. Higher end stores tend to pay more attention to their lighting and their lighting schedules, where the lower end stores, you'll see the cool white and, and, and warm white fluorescents mixed together. Some yeah. of the lights even out. And you can see traditional lighting methods, like we used to use black baffles and black LZX. Black absorbs glare. Okay. So yeah. you would walk into a jewelry store, and if you walk into an older jewelry store that has these, you can't even tell the lights are on. You have to look straight up inside them to see that they're on. But over time, especially interior designers said, we don't like those black holes in the ceiling when they're off. We want to <laughs> use white. So we switched to white baffles. And the problem with those is they disappear when they're off, but they're also still glary when they're on because white reflects everything. So um, now the newest color is a haze trim. It's it's kind of a silver, but it's a matte or muted silver. So it still pushes all the light out. It keeps a quiet ceiling line. But I not, like that how you say the quiet ceiling. Yeah, line. yeah. Our eyes are drawn to glare naturally. Okay. You know, go down the, go down a street, any street at night, and if you see somebody that has a piece of conduit with a bare a halogen or LED bulb out there, you don't notice what they're lighting. You don't see a sign. You just see a glare bomb. Yeah. And, uh, the what same do you call it? A glare bomb? A glare bomb, yeah. Oh. Yeah. You just see these glare things, and it totally <laughs> defeats the purpose. You know, we're going to light up this sign. And, and people tend to do that residentially with their outdoor lights. It's huge with outdoor. They want the, they feel that there's a value with the amount of wattage you can get compared to the price. So if one fixture will take a 100-watt bulb, dealing back to incandescent, and one will take a 60-watt bulb, they'll buy the 100 because they think it's a better value. It might be that uh, manufacturer only tested for 100, the other one only tested for 60, but if you go outside and you stand in the dark for, for five minutes, you don't need more than a 15-watt bulb to realize you can see everything outside, and that will deter yeah. crime. You know, light is the biggest deterrent of crime uh, that there is, even more than alarm yeah, system. Yeah, I, I heard that. Yeah. Absolutely. Statistically, it actually does deter more crime than an actual you know, the sound and the potential of the sound. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. So people will buy these beautiful, they'll spend hundreds of dollars on a beautiful outdoor light, and then they'll put this giant, the brightest LED or incandescent bulb they can put in it. And at night, it's just, you just see glare. You don't even appreciate <laughs> the beauty of it. So yeah. it's not warm and inviting. So we can put uh, incandescent lamps, lower water, or dim them down and make it warm and inviting, and your eyes will naturally, fo naturally follow paths of light. Or we can try to light up our front yard like a stadium and, <laughs> and keep the crime away from our neighbors as well at the same time, I yeah. guess. But. Yeah. Is there, is there, so it sounds like there's a definite correlation with light and when you say the library, I don't know, learnability, and then the profitability. It, the light affects 
both of those. Absolutely. And profitability in, in both energy savings and productivity. Productivity, okay. And there has been a lot of studies done with schools, and kids have proven to become more productive and have a higher level of learning in a higher color temperature of light. So if you if it's, you know, I would imagine the temperature makes a difference too, but if you have a warm light, you, you know, they tend to get more tired. They tend to not pay as, attention, uh, as much attention. But if you go to a higher color temperature, maybe in 6,000, 6,500, closer to daylight, they tend to be more productive, more alert, pay attention yeah. more, and uh, and achieve higher learning. So. Yeah. How do your your clients or prospective clients, do they try to quantify those factors? Are those important in their decisions? Uh, it's becoming more important. Okay. It really is. Uh, a lot of times, depending, again, on whether it's residential or commercial, uh, if we deal with commercial, it, it is very important, and it'll start that way in the design. And then, like anything, as the project goes on, budgets start becoming just as important sometimes. Yeah. And then we start getting into value engineering, and then and then it can go downhill from there. Oh, so, no. Yeah, so it, it depends yeah. on, on how much control you have on the project and, and what the ultimate goal of the project is. But if you're obviously a fine restaurant, you know, the lighting and the mood is going to become, is going to stay important throughout the entire thing. Yeah. Which brings up an important point on a side note, when LEDs first started coming onto the scene, one of the major differences between LED and incandescent is when you dim an incandescent, it becomes very warm. You can create a mood, almost like firelight. When you dim LED, it doesn't change color. The light output will change, but it doesn't change color. So a lot of restaurants, fine restaurants, said, we're tired of changing out these MR16s. It used to be the number one specified lamp in the industry, and now we're tired of changing these out. We'll go to LED. We'll save energy. We'll get longer life. And they would say, well, they would call up the whoever worked with them, and they'd say, it's too bright. It's too bright. It's too bright. And they would say, well, we have them on dimmers. We have them on controls. Did you dim them down? Yeah, it's too bright. It's still too bright. And what they meant was it was too white. Because the 3,000 Kelvin, which is like the car of halogen, stayed 3,000. They couldn't get that warm glow, that yeah. warm uh, that they were achieving. So a lot of people like the energy efficiency of LED, but they don't want necessarily want to, um, you know, they, they don't like the, the effect. They want they want it to act like an incandescent bulb, but they want energy efficiency in, in the life of uh, an LED. So we can talk about that in just a minute. Excellent. Oxen. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1. FM. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein raises powerful questions about the responsibilities of scientists to consider the impact of their inventions on the world. What insights, if any, should today's technologists and disruptors glean from Shelley's story? You're invited to experience a live taping of the Philosophy Talk radio program broadcast every Friday at noon on KZSU and hear from Persis Drell, Stanford's provost and former dean of engineering. The taping is free and open to the public and will take place on Tuesday, February 27th from 7.30 to 9 p.m. in Semex Auditorium at Stanford. Come and watch and participate by asking questions. Search Eventbrite Monstrous Technologies to find more info and to RSVP. We're talking today with Patrick Laidlaw, National Sales Manager for WAC Lighting, a global manufacturer and innovator of lighting products and LEDs. For more information, feel free to visit www.waclighting.com. That's www.waclighting.com. Patrick, budget's obviously important with everyone that you, you work with. How do how do you uh, quantify the value of the lighting for their particular project? Is there, is there a system or, or it varies between each client that says, hey, you know, this is what's important to us? Sure. It, yeah. it, it varies per client. And again, depending on what's going to happen in the space, if you're dealing with a warehouse space or, or production space versus an office space versus some sort of a, a home yeah, it's going to vary, and and some people appreciate the value of it, and some people don't. You know, it it just depends on yeah. where their level of knowledge is, and and the marketplace has come miles and miles in the knowledge of lighting and how it affects our lives. So when you consider your home being a, a refuge, a refuge and a, a place to go enjoy, and um, you know, and as people get older, they also realize the value of lighting because they need more light, but because oh, yeah. our lenses are thicker, three to four, right? That's when you're yeah, your yeah, peak. Yeah, yeah, three to four three years, to four of years, years of age. Is your best vision. Yeah. Yeah. And so at 20, you know, you can read the date on a penny and at, at 50, you can't. Um, you hand it to somebody and say, what does this say? You know, and, you, and then you snarl at them. But uh, 
I used to think it was funny. <laughs> yeah. um, not so much anymore. So, yeah, when we're in our 60s and 70s, you know, there's there's two things that happen to our eyes. And this is, again, it all relates to people who where you place your value on lighting. The One is basically your lenses, you know, because they're thicker, they scatter images. So when you're behind someone, an elderly person, and they're going slow down the road, it's because every oh, headlight coming at them scatters in their, in their <laughs> eyes. It scatters in the back of their eyes, and, and they can't see. You know, it's it's very ah, uh, okay. uh, very glary. They really, truly can't see. And then also a reaction time. So uh, I remember when I was 20 and 25, uh, phones weren't quite as big then, but you could play a video game and look up at the TV and play a video <laughs> yeah. game, look up at the TV. Yeah. Now I try to read an email, and if I look up at the TV, it takes me about 30 to 60 seconds before I can focus on the TV again. <laughs> you know, our eyes don't react as fast. And when you walk out of a theater, especially yeah. if it has an external exit, and it's a sunny day, all the old people or older people <laughs> than you were here at Stanford, so a lot of younger people. Just so you know, guys, when I walk out in front of you and I stop, I can't see anything, and your eyes adjust much faster than mine do. So, um, so the yeah, they're pushing me. Get out of the way, old man. And uh, and I'm not that old, I don't think. Uh, well, I used to think this was old, but 50s now is yeah. not, not that old anymore. So, uh, so you know, so our eyes, uh, as we get older, we need more light, we need less glare, we appreciate light more. But again, it's going to depend on the project. If you're designing a hotel that's going to be a budget hotel, uh, you want to put adequate light in there, you want to meet code, but you're, you're really maybe more concerned about turning dollars. Yeah. If you're creating experience, more and more of the hotels are really focusing on on lighting. But you don't want to go into a dark room. You want it to feel like home. You want to be able to yeah. have all the lighting you need. Yeah. Is um, that, let's go to the hotels. That's as much of a replication of your home as supposed to be. How Have they understood the value of light. They're starting to. It's interesting. You say starting to? Yes. Oh yes, absolutely. There's still a lot of hotels, depending on the design and whether it's a concrete building, how it was built, obviously depending on what type of renovations they can make internally. But I, I've worked with a lot over the years and uh, they're starting to appreciate and they're starting to see more comments on the lighting than they have ever seen before, I think, in the history. Even more so, maybe even than the service, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. In fact, I That's stayed at a hotel uh, here in San Francisco just the last few nights and, and the, it was only it, it was built about a year ago. It's been there less than a year and it's lit incredibly well inside the room. Believe it or not, there's track uh, in the little kitchenette by the desk area. There's lamps. It's lit very, very well through the whole room until you get in the bathroom. And when oh, no. you get in the bathroom, they, <laughs> that's the, the place it should be lit. Absolutely. If you want to apply makeup or shave or uh, see anything, you know, uh, did I get the broccoli off my teeth from dinner? I, I want, I want some light in kindly. it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, um, so you know, in there they had two sconces, one on each side of the mirror, which is perfect. When we're when we're lighting uh, for shaving and, and makeup application, etc., we want light on each side of your face. You don't want to recessed over your head because that's like putting a flashlight under your chin at Halloween. You create all these shadows. It's not good light. The one on each side of your face. Yeah. But they had it too far on each side of the okay, mirror. Okay. So what happened? And it, well, it's just very dim. It's yeah. Very and, and even some of the nicest hotels will go to these mirrors the, that are, have the lights built in, but it's very very soft and. Subdued, you can't see anything. So you know you're you're trying to shave, and you walk out, and you go, "What happened to you?" Um, I don't know. I can't see in there. So I'll go down in the lobby and find a mirror and see what happened to me. But but then everyone's going to have the same problem. So you get a bunch of makeup all over the place. Exactly. Guys half shaved. Exactly right. There used to be a commercial of a lady on a plane. They hit turbulence. She was putting her, her lipstick on an older lady. She said, is it on straight? It was all over her face. It's kind of that that effect when you're in a, in a, in a hotel. Yeah. So some of the newer hotels are really focusing on light. They realize that what a, what a difference that makes. People don't want yeah. You know, they also want to feel that the room is clean. And if it's not well lit, they're going to they're not going to feel clean. Um, you create a cavernous feeling. As soon as you start lighting walls, the space opens up. And you light the ceiling and the space opens up. And so, you know, when you start dealing with interior spaces that don't have windows, uh, basements, you have to really focus on making sure the space is well lit to be comfortable and not like you're going into a cave or a dungeon. Uh, yeah. or, you, or people won't use it or feel comfortable in that space. Yeah, but it sounds like there's a lot of caves and dungeons out there, even though they're not caves and dungeons. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely there are. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, not just in hotels. There's a lot of buildings uh, that can be that way. It used to be people didn't focus on the back stairway. You know, you put some sort of utilitarian light in there. And, um, oh, yeah, and, yeah. But people are using the stairs more than they ever have before because we're all focused on, on fitness. We want to live longer and stay healthier. <laughs> you know, we'll take the elevator up and take the stairs down. So uh, I'm not sure it serves the purpose, but it makes them feel better, I think, yeah. uh, myself included. So, yeah, yeah. Or depending on the amount of luggage I have, then that, that will also create 
uh, help contribute to the decision I make. Now, but, how about even on the roads? You talked about something. Obviously, we all use the roads, and you said you know the glare is in the back of you know, people; they can't see. Sure. Is there ways to improve that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now you're talking about headlights or street yeah. lighting because street, street lighting, lighting is yeah street lighting. Street lighting is a big controversial topic right now. And the American Medical uh, Association put out a letter last year that was really a little bit premature. Uh, they made some assumptions in there about how LED lighting can affect your sleep patterns, which it can, but LED lighting specifically. And they made some assumptions in there. And so people started saying, well, I don't want LED street lights. You know, it's going to come in my window. I'll never be able to sleep at night. And <laughs> it's going to be too bright. And 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 um, those some of those assumptions they made uh, have been proven false um, because of the way LEDs are made. But with LEDs, because you can turn them on and off, and you can uh, most of them you can dim, LED street lighting becomes uh, a real potential opportunity because not only could you uh, maybe step them down and have them half illuminated with these new sensors and controls. Now, when a car comes down the road, they could turn all the way on. You know, they could yeah. sense a car coming from yeah. quite a ways away. So you can you can save energy. You can trans. You're going to be able to transmit again uh, Wi-Fi over the uh, over the street lights over any type of lighting device. Um, so it won't be long. You'll be able to get Wi-Fi almost anywhere. Jeez. Now, how about legislatively, since we're on that subject, how, how does the—this is a general question—how does the lighting industry influence legislation towards lighting, or if they do? Do they have—is there lobbies or— Oh, yeah, there are. There okay. Are, yeah, the American Lighting Association is one. IES, the Illuminating Engineering Society, is also plays a role in government. And um, so they're trying to—they've been involved heavily in trying to be sure that we don't legislate ourselves only on energy consumption. We still need to maintain the focus on the use of the space and the users of the space. You know, are we giving a good quality of life or a good quality of work environment? Or are, only, are we only saying give it adequate light as, as inexpensively as you can? So they they're definitely play a role in that. And they've been uh, played a role in also in, in trying to establish standards, protocols, uh-huh. platforms, so that product can be made and can be used and can be specified, especially for architects and designers and, and even electrical, electrical contractors, electrical engineers. You almost have to do mock-ups now to be sure that mm-hmm. the things are going to be yeah. compatible before you put them in the space. Yeah. So do you find yourself helping uh, working more with architects and specifiers than, say, five, ten years ago? For us, yes. Yeah. Uh, we, we came from the distribution side of, of things. Uh, we were a distribution company. We worked largely with showrooms and electrical supply houses, and uh-huh. and we've gravitated over the years to, into the specification market market as well. So we do. We want to hear what they have to say. We want to hear what their challenges are. We try to develop technology products that can solve problems. But they've always been involved in lighting. I just think that in the past, it was a matter of light the space, you know, we yeah. really want to focus on how it looks uh, from the outside or how it functions from the inside, but light the space, you know. It, it, but now it's a matter of we understand that lighting the space has a lot to do with how it does function in the inside and how our design appears on the inside. Yeah, especially from an architect's perspective, it's it's been it actually will highlight the work. Absolutely. I know we talked about that earlier, but 100%. it really highlights the work. And uh, as far as safety and lighting, you know, Stanford campus, it's very dark. You know, in the evening, are there ways that you've looked at or experienced or been a part of where you've actually showed kind of safe spaces, uh, so to speak, that, you know, here's a lighting path or pattern or here's a type of lighting that could minimize potential problems? Sure. Well, I don't know if there's a particular type of lighting. Lighting okay. in general will, will or minimize problems. Or a designer problems. system or a, a process. Yeah, yeah. It, it, lighting in general minim, minimizes hazard. You know, trip hazards, uh, danger, crime, of course. Um, In our eyes, you can actually steer people, so to speak, or control their paths with lighting. It's kind of like when you go down the steps. You look at the first step, and you don't look at the rest of them. Your mind fills in the blanks. And so with lighting, by creating lighting lighting paths, people are going to tend to, to follow those paths. So you can actually control kind of the way they go and, and what they do. And then especially with, um, again, when we get into lighting for the aged, it's, it's a big topic right now. You start losing your depth perception. And so you have to start breaking up steps, either illuminating them so they can see that, that there's a change in elevation and they can transition safely. Or we'll use a strip, some sort of bright strips, a change in the carpeting, a change in the flooring that says, hey, there's a change in elevation. Otherwise, if the carpet were to continue, elderly people will trip and fall yeah. almost all the time. They, they yeah. don't have that depth perception. That yeah. How does WAC stay ahead in, in the technology facet of lighting? Well, is there research and development? Do you have facilities that... Uh 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, and and we do um, through number one, staying active in the industry, trying to keep okay. our, our our finger on the pulse of what's happening, but then also we have 110 engineers on staff, and How uh, many? worldwide over 110. Wow! Uh, so we actually in in 2007 we built our own manufacturing facility. We do manufacturing in three plants here in the U.S., but most of our manufacturing is in our own facility in China. We have a full UL test lab. We have uh, every type of goniosphere, every type of lighting um, test uh, machine you could. Uh, possibly come up with to produce photometrics, to, to test the product. Uh, we have landscape lights that are not designed to be underwater that have been sitting in buckets of water for a year to be sure that they're going to pass you oh, know, the test and, and really? work. Yeah. So we, um, we're very quality control oriented and very stringent. And then we try to design products that make people's lives easier. So for example, we have a track head uh, now, um, and even before that, in the olden days, you could take a halogen lamp or an incandescent lamp, and you could look at a graph, and it would tell you exactly what it did, what type of light you'd get out, how much, six feet away, beam spread. Now you look at a graph, and it looks like a big computerized uh, cloud. You don't know if you're looking at a weather chart or a, <laughs> or a lighting pattern. And it's very, very difficult, for, especially for people, basic people or new people in the industry, to read. So um, when you're trying to design something, when you say, I want to light this art, and our questions would be, okay, how far is the track from the wall? What is the aiming angle from the, the track to the art? What is the distance from the track to the art? How big is the art? And then I have to figure out what lamp or how many lamps am I going to use to light this? Uh, we've developed a track head that has a dial on the end, and you can actually go from 10 degrees to 50 degrees just by turning the dial on the end of the track head. So you can cover a great deal of, of things. And so if you're unsure, if you're going to change the art, if the salesperson or the specifier is unsure what's going to happen, yeah. um, it's it's a dynamite track head, and it's very easy to just just turn a dial on the end. Yeah. Um, how, we, how soon do you put out a product before you say, okay, you know what, this is what we're working on, and we're going to set it out in 2018 or 2019? Sure, sure. You, right now, I was just in an engineering meeting on, on uh, a new product category uh, two weeks ago, and our goal is to launch it in June and be inventoried in uh, in uh, hopefully by July August. Um, so because we are the manufacturer and we engineer the product, we can uh, bring product to market very very quickly. But on average, I would say probably a year from uh, from concept to delivery. A year from concept to yeah, delivery. Yeah, for a new product category. Do, do um, potential clients or even existing ones ever kind of come up with an idea? Uh, before you have just to say, hey, you know what? Here's our problem. All the time. Can you, really? All the time. Okay. We solicit our architects, specifiers, our, our even our installers, contractors, people that work in showrooms. We say, if you see a need, if you see something, please tell us because it can. It might be a modification. It might be something that could be easily developed to make everybody's life a lot easier. So, who better to tell you what you have to have than the people that are using it every day or designing Absolutely. it every day? Yeah. This is the Modern Architect, KZSU ninety point one FM, Stanford. A San Francisco Symphony celebrates the music of Leonard Bernstein along with the Shostakovich Symphony No. 5 in two performances on Friday and Saturday, February 23rd and 24th in San Francisco's Davies Symphony Hall. For tickets, call 415-864-6000. That's 415-864-6000. Or visit sfsymphony.org for these February 23rd and 24th performances of the music of Leonard Bernstein and Dmitry Shostakovich. We're talking today with Patrick Laidlaw, National Sales Manager for WAC Lighting, a global manufacturer and innovator of lighting products and LEDs. For more information, feel free to visit www.waclighting.com. That's www.waclighting.com. Dot com. Patrick, on the uh, on the subject of, the, of um, staying at the forefront of technology, is that just kind of a culture at uh, WAC, or it's it's just the way it is? No, you know, it, yeah. it's definitely part of the culture. Uh, uh, when we look at products to marketplace. Uh, whether it be an architect, a designer, a lighting showroom, and electrical supply house has a need for a product, says you guys should should look at this. We'll look at the product and we'll say, okay, where is it going? You know, is is it a commodity product? Uh, is it something that's that's going to be a short term life life cycle? Um, what need does it fit? And then how can we make it better? How can we make it different? Or how can we make it better? So, for example, we went into landscape lighting about three and a half years ago, and there's a lot of people that do landscape lighting, and and with outdoor living being very popular now, it 
you know, it's it's a very popular category, but we said, how can we make it better? So we designed a landscape accent light that actually you can rotate the uh, shroud on it, and you can go from, again, 15 degrees to 55 degrees. So you can light a very small tree to a very large tree, and then there's a screw built into the, uh, the collar on it that you can actually adjust the intensity. So you can go from 2 watts to 11 watts. So you can actually Whoa. take this one particular light, and you can adjust it to anything in your in your <sighs> landscape, and uh, it, it fills a great need. We also designed an in-ground. The same with the trackhead. So we try to design products that are a little bit better than what's out there, either feature-oriented or design-oriented, rather than just try to make a, a, a product that, that looks like everyone else's or performs as everyone else's. Yeah, so that staying ahead is something that's the way it is. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah there's a lot yeah. of companies that will try to make it cheaper, and you know what they say, buy cheap, buy twice, yeah. because oh. you're going to have to replace <laughs> it at some point or another. And um, and we don't. We, we hope we try to yeah. avoid that. We want to build a quality product. We want it to be packed with features or, or design yeah, uh, design oriented and uh, and serve a purpose. So if, yeah. if it's a if it's a commodity <laughs> item in a race to the bottom in price, we say that's not for us. You know, was uh, it your line buy buy cheap buy twice? You know, <laughs> okay. absolutely right. Um, so you know, I would rather spend a little yeah. bit more money and get it to do what I want it to do. I can enjoy yeah. it, and I don't have to replace it or, or or deal with the problems. And as you know, in, in any industry, there's there's a always somebody willing to sell it to you for less money. And the quality the quality of the fertilizer is is definitely related to quality of the oats you put in the other end of the horse. So we want to be sure that um, we're using quality components and building quality products. Yeah, yeah. So you, you stay ahead and uh, have you ever tried to quantify, you know, how much of it is actually your clients actually saying, look, we got a problem. We're not sure how to solve it. Yeah, I don't know if we could quantify yeah. it, but you could go through the catalog and, and you could point out page after page and say, this came from Atlanta, Georgia, because they said there was a need for this particular product. We just designed a recessed light with a what we call a dead front trim. It's a plastic, a uh, or non-metallic, as we call it in the industry, a non-metallic shower trim, because in Washington, code requires it to be a non-metallic huh. shower trim in, in the recess area there. So we have products that were designed from other areas all over the country where somebody just came up with an idea and said, this would be great. Why don't we do this? Or, or extend it into other categories. So now the new thing is controlling the light and the color temperature. So we just designed some lights that are, we call them dim to warm. It acts like an incandescent bulb, but it's an LED technology. So as you dim it down, it starts to turn warmer, but also light output decreases and color temperature warms. So people in their bathroom, in their home theater, in, in their master bedroom, in fine restaurants can still get that glow that they expect from an incandescent dim down, but with LED technology. So we're Trying to design products to make yeah. people's lives better. Yeah. Are there any projects that you're at liberty to share with us that you're working on? You know, specifically San Francisco, if you can. If not, anywhere um, in the country that you're, you can share with us to say this was kind of a challenge, and we, you know, it's beautiful now. Sure, sure. Well, it seems like uh, they're all a challenge in the beginning. You know, <laughs> yeah. whether you have architectural restraints, budget restraints, um, you know, power. Where are you going to get the power from? So yeah, we just uh, we did one recently that it was a tank museum uh, in another country, tank, which like was, the armor. Yeah, yeah, okay. the giant tanks. Yes, yeah. yeah. We just worked with a, a Holocaust museum, um, and we we did some lighting there. So we were recently involved in Colorado. There's a solar decathlon, which is incredible. Solar There's decathlon. A solar okay. decathlon. Yeah, colleges from all over, even okay. other countries, yeah, yeah. put right. together these solar uh, homes. Yeah. And so we were we were thrilled to be a part of that and provide lights for for these homes, and they work. Uh, specifically on on solar and, and net zero yeah. energy, so that was that was incredible and fun to be a part of. Yeah, now the uh, I've seen the uh, the adage that you've won awards for responsible lighting. Can you share with us? You know. Yes. Responsible lighting? Absolutely. We're very proud of that. So when we talk about responsible lighting, we have uh, recycling throughout not only our offices, but in our facilities. So we don't just throw product out if, if something's wrong, if it comes back, uh, if there's an issue, uh, we recycle everything, the metal, the glass, the electronics. But it really started when we built our manufacturing facility in 2007. It's, it's okay. a zero landfill. So we actually produce electronic components, powder coat paint, we pour castings, we have metal shops, all zero landfill. We recycle absolutely wow. everything which is uh, really fantastic. It's state-of-the-art. Yeah. And that was built in 2007 and been that way since. Uh, so. Wow, so you were at the forefront of that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that's not the, a common goal with a lot of companies. No, no. Yeah. They're, they're very proud of that. And giving back, you know, uh, the owners of the company were still independently owned, uh, which is a wonderful thing. And yeah, that's not common as well. No, no. And they give yeah. back to the community, especially okay. in the New York area. They've been very involved for, for many, yeah. many years. So. Yeah, 
Yeah, we're very proud of that. Yeah, so that's, again, part of the culture Absolutely. That, that you have. And was that from the very beginning since you've been involved with them, WSC? Yes. That they've always had this. Yes, it is. Kind of sounds like a care, it, I, it for is. lack of a better word. It's no, it, like you care. The owner is incredibly yeah. humble. He's the most humble man you've ever met. And wow. uh, and if you he, he has he has a house. Uh, it's on the water in, in New York. And he invites employees out all the time. Come out, bring your family, you know, come and fish off the dock or no spend way. some time in the pool. Yeah, and while they're out there, he brings drinks out to them. He's, <laughs> he's a wonderful, him and his wife are the most wonderful people you've ever met. So that. That culture comes. It started from the very beginning, and uh, and now his daughter is the president of our company, and so it's a it's a family affair, and they harvest that. We have a lot of young people that work for our company, yeah. and uh, they're very involved. We have intramural basketball leagues. We have uh, they go bowling in the evenings. You know, people they come in, they put in long That's hours. A lighting for, firm you have this absolutely. That sounds like absolutely. like a t- typical uh, techie startup here. Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is in a way. To, okay. to your point, I never thought about it that way. But you know, we've got engineers that are that are out there with our inside sales guys, and then maybe a couple of people from marketing, and they're heading out to, on a Monday after, uh, evening to go to go play basketball together. You know, so it's a it's a really neat culture. But the company also gives back. You know, every year yeah. they take the entire company on a, on a retreat of some sort. They'll book an entire resort for a weekend. This past year, they took the entire company on a three day cruise to Bermuda. Um, little things like that that create that that family. You know family culture. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the, I, I bet that the clients also feel that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're talking to people who want to learn, who want to care, who, who want to serve, you know, take care of your needs and, and serve a, take care of any issues, you know, serve a purpose. It, it's, it is, it's, you can definitely sense that on the phone, whether somebody's there for a job or whether they care more deeply. Yeah. That. Now, when you see, when you see people and you go in to, to see a, a prospect or a client or someone who has a problem, do you look at it? Um, it sounds like you're looking at it from the person's perspective and the people that you actually be lighting, I guess, from a, a human perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Not yeah, just, whether, a, oh, we're going to light them. Here's your lights. No, exactly right. Yeah. Whether that person's the architect, whether that person's the user of the space, whether it's an electrical contractor who has compatibility issues on a job and something's yeah. blinking and, we, and he doesn't know why, you know, we have to solve the problem. We have to figure it out. And in, in certain cases, it may be compatibility on our part, and in many other cases, it may be compatibility with uh, with other things. You know, contractors are they're they're really they have the toughest I think job yeah. out of all of us because they take classes and they learn about the National Electric Code. Uh, they give them code updates, but no one teaches them anything about LED. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the continuing education that you have to provide. Yeah, for contractors, yeah. there's really nothing out there, and I've spent a lot of uh, evenings in contractors' offices, you know, with pizza and and, and just troubleshoot. <laughs> Let you me know. know. Yeah. I, <laughs> Honest to God, it's the truth. Um, you don't know until you get yeah. into it. And so then, you know, you, you tell them uh, it could be the, the LED on the GFI. If they plug the driver into the into the kitchen kitchen outlet and then the LED GFI is, is even across the kitchen, but they're all in the same circuit and it's causing interference. Uh, you can't tie the neutrals together anymore in the back of the electrical box like they have done for 100 years. Oh. Because if you have a fluorescent somewhere on the line, it could be interfering with the driver, the, the LED product. Uh, yeah. So we have to isolate neutrals. And there's just so much, but there's no... No place for most contractors to go learn. So a lot of uh, lighting showrooms um, and architects, uh, interior designers, you know, they go for CEUs. And a lot of times you can digress out of the just the CEU afterwards into color rendering and, and color temperature and and uh, compatibility issues. But uh, there's, you know, other than really being diligent about trying to read periodicals from the IES yeah. or American Lighting Association, you know, it makes it tough to uh, to learn those things other than the hard way. Yeah. So you really, you're not just uh, obviously selling lighting and solutions. But it sounds like you're educating. Absolutely. On yeah. a continuous basis. It, a lot it, more than I would have ever thought. It, you yeah. know, we've be, we've gone, we've transitioned from lighting to become almost electrical engineers. You know, you, yeah. you not have... Double to, E majors. I absolutely, yeah. yeah. You not only have to know how your product functions, but you have to know how everyone else's functions. Because <laughs> if they put yours in with someone else's, you, you know, we do yeah. a lot of testing of our products with controls out there, with controls from various manufacturers, because an architect wants to know if he specifies our product, will it work with this control yeah. system? So the onus actually comes back onto us to make sure that product works so we can list it on a specification sheet that it will work with all these. Otherwise, they're forced to test it or, or learn the hard way, which is not how anybody really wants to find out. Yeah. What are some of the challenges? And, I mean, this is a gen- general question again, is some of the challenges in the industry 
sure. w- with that. Yeah, biggest is compatibility. So when LED okay. first came on the scene, we it was funny, all of our control products, and when I say controls, dimming products, whole house controls or, or whole building controls, they were designed for incandescent light bulbs, which were very efficient and very high wattage. So dimming is done electronically now, and so those dimmers have a minimum load. They have to sense some sort of, of load on it before they'll work. And we would switch product to LED, and all of a sudden... The LEDs would flash because the dimmer was couldn't tell if there was a load on it or not. And so the, in the early days, we would actually put an incandescent bulb in a maintenance closet, and we would tell people, when your lights under your counter start flashing, go change the bulb in your maintenance closet because, uh, you know, we couldn't get enough load, yeah. and they didn't make low loads. Now they yeah. make low minimum loads on dimmers yeah. and on controls and on modules. So really now it just becomes more of a compatibility issue, and we're learning that LEDs, or we have learned, LEDs need to be dimmed differently than incandescent bulbs. And so you can get really technical into forward phase and reverse phase. Phase. It really comes down to a, a, a what we call a triac dimmer, an everyday household How's dimmer, or triac, yeah, okay, yeah, which is just an everyday household dimmer or an ELV dimmer, an electronic low voltage dimmer that's designed to dim electronics a certain way that you don't get that strobing and that flashing, and the product performs the way you would like it to and expect yeah. it to when you buy it. Yeah. So the problem is the electronic low voltage controls are a little bit more expensive, but they perform at a much better. A much better way than than a yeah. regular dimmer does. Yeah. What are, what are some of the joys then of the industry as well? I mean, uh, you said a, uh, you said quite a few, but the, yeah, 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 yeah. No, uh, it's it's a family industry. It really is. Yeah. And so you you meet people from all over the country. You see people from all over the country. You're, you have a common interest. And now it's about not only technology. I mean, it's always challenging. There's always competition. You're always you're always uh, battling for business. And uh, but you know when you're developing products that are unique, that are different, that again solve a, a purpose. But really, to me, moreover, you're creating a better quality of life for people. It's it's more than just lighting. You know, yeah. people can can go home. And they may not even realize it, but they they're just uh, their space is different than it was before. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. They may not realize it. How do you? Um, what else would you tell of our audience and listeners if about lighting that? Uh, they probably don't know in that facet. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, you know, you don't know what you don't know. That's the hard part. So if you're, used I don't know. To, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So if you're used to what yeah. you have, you may not know there's something better. But you know, in, in Arizona, I was actually speak, talking to one of the speakers from the IES, the Illuminating Engineering Society, and he said there's a huge need in Arizona now because people built retirement homes when they could afford them, and they go down there and they retire. They built them when they were in their 40s, and now they're in their 70s. Oh, and they can't you're see right. Anything. You're right. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, yeah. we learn after. <laughs> And then, then you're talking about a remodel or an electrical contractor. You know, you're talking about a lot more cost inv- invested. So I would encourage you to speak to someone who knows lighting, whether it be an interior designer with a lighting background or a lighting showroom. Uh, speak to someone who knows lighting. Help them design your home. Uh, you can always put in way more light than you need. But if you don't put enough in, it's going to cost you a lot more later. You, you can You can dim it down. You can control it down. But you can't. It's a lot harder to add. Perfect, perfect. Patrick, it's been an honor. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Thank, Thank you, you so much. It's been my pleasure. I hope you consider coming back sometimes in the near future. Definitely. I would love to. De- definitely, definitely. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Patrick Laidlaw, National Sales Manager for WAC Lighting. WAC Lighting is headquartered in Long Island, New York and is a leading global manufacturer and innovative designer of lighting for luxury residential and commercial applications, as well as hospitality, institutional, retail, and architectural projects. Step inside the world's finest museums, public spaces, and offices in WAC Lighting. Help them shine brightly. For more information, feel free to visit www.waclighting.com. That's www.waclighting.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University's studios in Palo Alto. Actually, that's KZSU's studios at Stanford University and is a production of KZSU Radio. Today, the recording engineer and production manager is Mark Lawrence, also the chief engineer, and we're all assisted by Caleb Smith. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro.